has been leading us in worship already. But it's time for us to stand and sing together. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I'd love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're in my life. I'm so glad you came to save us. You came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross.
Oh, it is so good to have our handbells back after a two-year absence. The last three Sundays have been so wonderful. Thank you all so much. And did you notice how they rang and they hit and they rang and they hit? <laughs> What's it called? Mallet. Mallet? <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have to read music in order to play with the handbells. So... Uh, that leaves a few of us out, but if you, if you do read music, you want to be a part of the handbells, please contact Miss Nancy. That is great. Sure presents this uh, worshipful atmosphere, and I heard some of you humming the song as, uh, as uh, they were playing. It just thrills the heart. Well, our time of worship has already begun, but we want to welcome you to First Baptist Church, Sun City West, and if you have not ever filled out a guest card and this is your first time or maybe your 10th time if you haven't filled one out yet, we'd love for you just to take the card and the pew in front of you, fill it out, put it in the, in the offering boxes when you leave. We would certainly appreciate that. And I just want to remind you as we get ready to pray that today we are relaunching our Watchman Prayer Ministry. It is a wonderful time of taking one hour, a specific hour during the course of the week over the next 52 weeks to pray for the ministries of this church, our community, and revival and spiritual awakening in our nation and beyond. And I hope that you'll take that uh, to heart and that uh, today uh, or over the next uh, two or three weeks that you will choose to sign up for an hour, even if you travel a lot or even if you're gone four to six months out of the year, still pray where you are, wherever you are. There's an insert in your bulletin that has a, a, a black banner on the top that says Watchman Prayer Ministry. Just review that, if you will. Because where there are uh, some of us over the week praying consistently at a particular hour for God to move, it is powerful. This past year, we've, uh, or two years really, we've had right about 100 uh, prayer warriors that have signed up. So all of those are going away, and uh, there will be a board out here in the foyer. When you leave, you can pick a new hour and... Uh, Let's just do everything we can because prayer is essential. We'll talk about that in our message. Join me in prayer and we'll continue to worship. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us today to come and to be involved in this worship. It is inspiring. As the congregation sings, as the bells ring, as we hear the beautiful uh, piano piece, and Father, as we continue to sing and listen and pray and seek wisdom from your word i pray you will speak to us and that we will experience your presence today in a very powerful way in Jesus' name we pray amen a verse from deuteronomy 33 reads the god of old is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms let's sing together leaning on the everlasting arms
morning church if you haven't noticed tomorrow is Valentine's Day <laughs> it's an excuse to eat chocolate <laughs> pray with me please father God you are my Lord of Lords you are our King of Kings you are our Lord of all creation you are the promise we are grateful to be in the house of the Lord today. We are thankful for this beautiful day. 
We are thankful for everything because you created it. So we have everything we need. Lord, you promise us in 1 Corinthians that we have faith, hope, and love, but love is the most important. You promise us in John 15 your command to love one another. So as we celebrate a day set aside for love, we want to focus on you. We want to accept the love that you have sent us through Jesus Christ, your son, the best and most important, powerful gift we could ever receive. So thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for your son. In Jesus' name we pray.
Abba Father, I will never cease to love you.
Thank you, choir. We all pray. We all spend time either in our devotion times or praying for an hour through the course of the week, or at some point or another, we find ourselves in need and we think, well, this is the time I need to pray. Others, they just pray consistently, a spiritual gift along those lines. But you know, in reality, uh, at least in my mind, uh, prayer is kind of a strange and illogical thing. And I say that because how can my feeble request change the mind of a sovereign God? The one who has always existed and the one who created everything out of absolutely nothing. How can I communicate with him to change his mind? How in the world can energy, urgency, and strength with persistence make prayer happen and a mighty move of God to touch his heart? And yet, probably if we took a poll among us, we have seen God answer our prayers of intercession changing anything and everything that we could see to bring about awakenings, mighty movements, miracles in the realm of our bodies, medical situations, financial reversals, children, you name it. And when we have prayed and we have interceded and we've sent our petitions, we find that God, moves <laughs> the scripture tells us in james chapter 5 verse 16 and just one phrase the latter part of verse 16 the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective the king james version says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I kind of like this paraphrase. The urgent, energetic, fervent prayer of a real Christian accomplishes a lot. Well, regardless of which one you choose or all three, the fact of the matter is, is that prayer is the source of Christian power. For the believer who has the Spirit of God who lives inside of him or her, the prayer, not all the actions which are necessary, and God uses them, but it is prayer that is the source of our power. There's two things that I think jump out of this particular passage. There are certain qualities that powerful prayer must have. The scripture in the King James Version uses the term effectual and fervent. I'm going to go with those terms because if you go to the Greek New Testament, you'll find that those are not two words, those are one word. It's one word with these two ideas. And this one word that has these two ideas actually has an additional three ideas behind it, and that is urgency, energy, and persistence. And so it opens up, an incredible opportunity for us to understand 
what effectual and fervent means. It tells us that these qualities for powerful prayer, not just for prayer, but for powerful prayer, well, they're threefold. Powerful prayer must be urgent. He says the effectual, the word effectual indicates a burning urgency. And what is a burning urgency? It's an urgency that feels or says, God, I must have this. And it's not a selfishness like a jealousy or I see something in the store and I just got to have that. It's this understanding that, that there's such a passion for another person or for something that's going on in our life that we come before God and we say, God, I have to have this. This is the urgency. <laughs> 1962 our family uh, was traveling to mexico city from the southern part of new mexico uh, my dad wanted to visit some of the missionaries as uh, uh, that he knew in mexico particularly in, in mexico city dr roy lyons was there at the time and i'll never forget as a four-year-old and my brother is here by the way he's back over here guy with the gray hair and uh the beard <laughs> I point him out because he's a key part of this story um, the night before a horrific accident took place just outside of Mexico City I remember looking outside the back window of our car and uh, the moon was a full moon and it was a, a reddish moon and I, I'll never forget that because every time I see that kind of moon, my mind automatically goes back to that, that morning in 1962 when a bus driver hit the back end of our car. And we found out later that he was inebriated, but he took off and they never did anything. But our car went off a 20-foot cliff. As we went, the car began to roll from front to back front to back my brother was about nine and a half i think at that time nine and a half almost ten and uh, in those days you know there were no seatbelt laws so we just we were free <laughs> well he happened to be sitting in the front seat mom was sitting in the back seat with me and when we went over the cliff and the car hit my brother was thrown out of the front windshield as the car continued to roll and it threw him a distance out there and from the understanding of we these this was farm fields just outside of mexico city from those who were working the farms that the car it went over once it went over twice and it went over more than halfway the third time which my brother was laying right in its path it would have crushed him but somehow, over halfway over, it flipped back on its wheels. Now, how did that happen? Well, there's engineers that could give you all kinds of things, I'm sure. But here's what I do know in the backdrop. As they were going off the cliff, my dad started praying. You know how quickly things can go? You know, it seems like everything slows down when you're in a crisis situation and your mind just goes 100 miles an hour. And my dad began to pray out loud. 
he said, and I just remember him telling this later, I didn't remember it as a four-year-old, he said, Father, Mom and I have lived a good life. But then he cried out and said, God, I just ask you to save my boys. You see, I believe there was a sense of urgency about his prayer. And I believe that God heard that prayer, and based on the testimony of the people working the farms of how that car should have crushed him and yet flipped over and saved his life. Now, we had to spend another 30 days in Mexico City because there's a lot of red tape back in those days. He was in the hospital, my brother was, for 30 days because going through the front shield of the, uh, of the car, there was glass all in his arm. There was glass that had cut his neck area. In fact, I, a humorous story, not so much at the, you know, later, I guess. Um, Dr. Lyons and his wife came, and Mrs. Lyons took mom, who had a broken leg, and my brother, who had all of this damage, and me that had a little cut up above my, my eyebrow. Um, to the hospital my brother was laying down and my my uh, my mom said uh, Kenny you're gonna have to sit up and and he started trying to sit up and he said mom my head's not coming with me <laughs> so it's kind of kind of funny but the reality was that, that he he did have damage around there that that was a problem <laughs> but God even though there was catastrophic damage for my brother and yet he's served God for over 60 years now in a very faithful, faithful way. But God heard the prayers. We had to deal with all of the other consequences. But he heard, and there was that sense of urgency. And I believe with all of my heart that if we're going to have amazing, powerful things happen, that we cannot orchestrate ourselves that our prayers can't be what we call Sunday school prayers where we just say something or, or at, the, at the table where we just say, God, bless this food. But there is this sense of urgency that says, God, we've got to have this. We're not going to see a move, mighty movement of God if that's not what's taking place. And I believe that powerful prayer must be energetic as well. He uses that term fervent, the effectual Fervent prayer, fervent, it gives an idea of energy. <coughs> the Bible says of Joshua, and in praying, he prayed. What does that mean? It means he really got with it. <laughs> it gives an emphasis that he understood what was necessary and put everything he had into that. <coughs> Sorry for the, uh, the, dry, the dry throat. I think of uh, David Brainerd, the missionary to the Native Americans in New York State back in the 19th century. Now, at our church in Seattle, we had a relative of his, Gordon Brainerd, that was a member of our church. So we got a lot of really cool information. But if you go back and look at him and talk about his prayer life, uh, he died of tuberculosis at age 27. They tried to get him to stop doing what he was doing, but he wouldn't do it because he felt called by God. And his, his, his heart was so much for the Native Americans in New York State that he's asking God for a spiritual re revival and awakening, and actually that did take place. But they talk about 
the biographers talk about his prayer time that when he would he'd sit in the snow and he'd begin praying and there was so much energy coming from him and so much heat that the snow would melt within a two-foot radius of him. That's energy in your prayer time. You see, this kind of prayer shows a singleness of mind. Put everything else out and what you do is you pray for God to move. And that's what he did, and God moved with a spiritual movement among those Native Americans in New York State. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. Why is that? He's basically saying, close out the world. Get the distractions out of your way. Have a singleness of focus in your prayer time. Secondly, I think that it also this kind of prayer shows unrestrained emotions. In our men's Bible study, we talk about this a little bit that uh, on Thursdays, the guys just, uh, we just don't show a lot of emotion. We kind of keep to ourselves. We don't really hang around with other guys like the ladies hang around with ladies. And, and one of the things that we talk about is this emotions. We just don't let it out. But what I believe God is trying to get across here is that we need to have unrestrained emotions when we are closing the door and praying with this sense of energy. Let your feelings break through. What you really feel about what you're interceding on behalf of. Reach out to God. Let Him understand your feelings. He knows everything about you, but you've got to let Him know because then you let yourself know it's okay. Jesus said in the Revelations, uh, Revelation 2.9, I know your afflictions. It has the idea of I know your sorrows. It, the wording has this understanding of knowing by experience. He understands by experience our emotions, what we're feeling. We need to make sure we experience that too. He feels what we do. So when we go to the, the Lord in prayer with that intensity, that urgency, and that energy, it says I need to show what I really feel about this, not try to code them over. And this kind of prayer also activates our wills. It makes us do what we can to answer our prayers with God working through us. And basically, it says, listen, God, we want you to intervene. I'm urgent about this. I'm energetic in this prayer time, but I want you, I want you to do something powerful. And he comes back, and he says, I'm going to but I want you to be open and willing to let me use you to help that your prayer of intercession become a reality. So, the qualities of powerful prayer, urgency, energy, and third, I believe that powerful prayer must be persistent. The word fervent has the quality of I will not be denied. This is not pressuring God. Some people say, oh, I've got to be cautious how I pray because I don't want to offend God. I want to pressure Him because He's God, and I'm not. But the reality is God wants us to do this. In fact, in, uh, in Luke chapter 18 and verse, uh, verse 5, He talks about the unrighteous judge and the righteous woman who's trying to, to get righteousness, a righteous judgment. And the, the judge says, 
Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice. And Jesus is talking about that focus of continuing to go to God, who's not an unrighteous judge, but a righteous one, so how much more will he want to accomplish the things we're praying for as it pertains to his will? I remember when my youngest daughter, Laura, accepted Christ. She was four years old, and she actually did it at a neighbor's house in a bathroom by herself. I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. I, I'm not quite sure she understands all of the details in regard to that, especially at four years old, especially by herself. And so I wouldn't baptize her. And uh, for two years... For two years, she would say, Dad, when am I going to be baptized? And I said, I go through the whole thing. Well, what does this mean, and this mean, and this mean? And so, of course, she would be able to explain exactly what it meant to accept Christ. And I continued to do that. For two years, I did that, and she kept constantly, almost every week, asking me, when am I going to be baptized? We go through the same thing. And finally, we were driving down the road, she asked the same question. I went through everything. My wife looks at me, and she says, when are you going to allow her to be baptized? <laughs> <laughs> there is this persistence and she's an unusual kid and at four, four years old she knew what she was doing persistence that's the idea in our prayer time it's not a one and done when we feel strongly about something about how how god needs to work when we feel strongly about uh, the country and the spiritual nature and chaos of the country or our community or somebody individual that, that needs to know Christ or when, when we have this urgency, this, this understanding that we've got to pray for so-and-so in our church because they're going through these hard times, it ought to have everything that it possibly can in the realm of urgency and energy but also persistence. We don't pray one time and say, okay, I'm done, I've done, I've done my duty. We have to continue to pray until the justice comes, until God intervenes. That's what powerful prayer is. Those are the qualities of powerful prayer. The second thing that I find in here is that powerful prayer will have powerful results. If you're willing to pay the price, And to take the time to focus your attention in persistence and energy and urgency on the things that are near and dear, then God's going to accomplish some powerful things. In fact, he says, the prayers availeth much, and the King James Version accomplishes a lot, are effective in the NIV. It has an idea that, you know what, it's going to accomplish a lot. It does basically three things. It changes the person praying. You cannot fulfill the qualities of the powerful prayer and stay a nominal believer in Christ. You can't do it because you will not continue to pay, pray powerful prayers. You just can't do it. 
It'll change the person praying. Well, how does that? Well, it, it, it makes the person God-aware. When you pray like that, then you are focused upon God because that's who you're coming before the throne of grace. Too often we lose awareness of God's presence. God is always near. We, we have His Spirit who lives inside of us. The reality is that we just get too preoccupied. We, we get too busy in life. It was always that way, you know, when we were younger and working and had kids, and boy, I tell you, we were going every direction. It doesn't change a whole lot in our senior years. You know, most of the uh, uh, folks that I talk to in our church, they say, man, I tell you what, it's, it's busy being a senior adult. <laughs> you got things almost every single day. So we can become too preoccupied or too busy to take on those qualities. We say, well, I will get my, my quick prayer in, but it needs more than that. It needs attention. It also makes that person sin conscious. We not only become more aware of God when we are praying powerful prayers, but it makes me aware of where I fall short. You know, the prophet Isaiah was... Um, he was a, a godly man, and God called him to come before the people and to call them back to God. I can't address the entire nation. I just know they were on the wrong path. But he was a godly man. And yet, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5, in a vision, he said, Woe, is, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Here was a godly man, maybe one of the most godly in the nation, and yet when he saw God, he said, whoa. When we get together with God and we spend quality and quantity of time with God in His presence, we're not going to come away the same. We're going to be aware of our sin. And so we're going to become sin conscious. It is important for us to know that in our Christian walk, we should never compare ourselves to another person and say, well, I'm doing better than they are. We need to do what Isaiah did and come and measure ourselves before Christ. And we will say, woe to me. Sin conscious. Because we need to eliminate the sin in our life if we're going to have a powerful prayer life. The third thing that, uh, that happens as far as powerful results is that it activates the person's energies. Christian cannot fervently pray and stay idle or stay in the stands or stay on the sidelines. When a believer, no matter what age, when a believer is prayed up, when they have this understanding of what a powerful prayer is and they put everything into it, 
they are absolutely fine to storm the gates of hell because the gates of hell will not be able to withstand them. When I was younger, they used to say, you know what, we get right with God and God calls us to do that, man, we're, we, will, we will storm the gates of hell with a water pistol. <laughs> the key is it's not us. When we, when we have that kind of powerful prayer life, we realize it's not us, but we have a passion and a compassion for things. We want God to move powerfully. And we want to allow him to use us as well. And when that happens, even though difficult times and consequences come to us, because the road will never be easy, and when you are a powerful prayer warrior, I believe that you're going to be attacked even more. But you're okay with that because you know that God is with you through it all. So, we find that it changes the person praying. It also reaches beyond the person who's praying. The scripture says it accomplishes a lot or availeth much. Prayer actually causes God to intervene. Um, I've had this happen a number of times in my ministry, not as near as often as I would have liked. Well, my very first church, a church about 80 people, I was pastoring that church and also finished up my master's, so I was flying back and forth from Albuquerque to, to uh, Fort Worth, Dallas Love Field, uh, for about a year and a half, about 18 months every weekend, except for the summer. But that first summer in 1982... There, there were two men two deacons that for several years had been meeting at the church at 6 o'clock in the morning and they did it every single day. One was a dairy farmer. They didn't leave, live next to the door, or next to the church. The other worked for the uh, uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs in Albuquerque. He had quite the commute. But they had such a passion for the community and wanting God to move. These two deacons met 6 o'clock every single day and so when i came there first as an interim pastor just for the summer while i was on summer break they invited me to come six o'clock was pretty early for you know a young guy <laughs> and i dragged myself out of bed and i just was living in the parsonage in the same parking lot as the church so i didn't have far to go and they always beat me there these were praying people, though. And I'd sit there in that prayer meeting, and they taught me so much about intercession as they prayed. And, you know, by the end of that summer, we had a revival, and my dad came and preached that revival. But God had been working all summer. There had been all kinds of decisions being made. And that week, we saw 20 people walk the aisles, give their life to Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Because in that church, it had not ever happened before. I believe with all of my heart, it was those men 
who were committed to pray at 6 o'clock every single moment, morning. Not necessarily at their house. They drove, and then they went on and, and did their work. But they prayed with a passion and a compassion because they prayed for the people who were lost. And to see that kind of spiritual movement in a small church like that, just outside of Albuquerque, was powerful. You see, all of the great movements of God in the realm of spiritual awakenings have always started with prayer. And I'm talking about fervent, effectual prayer. What would happen if we all decided that we were going to pray like this in a powerful way, praying for spiritual awakening in our nation, in our community? Man, I think God would move powerfully. But you know what? It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy. You have to be committed to it for a long time, not a short time. It's just hard. But let me tell you, that's what God wants. That's one of the reasons that we, we focus on the Watchman Prayer Ministry because then we can post Watchman at the wall, you know, for so many hours during the week. And specifically, it, it, we don't send requests for those who are uh, the, the requests that aren't related necessarily to spiritual awakening, revival, and the ministries of this church. We have other prayer ministries that accomplish that. But for this, it is a focus of praying for an hour, preparing ourselves and interceding before God and asking Him to bring about an awakening, a revival among God's people, an awakening in our community and our country because we need that. Also, we find that powerful results of our prayers are limited to a particular person. He says, of a righteous person. Well, now, wait a second, preacher. I am not perfect, and so that excludes me. Well, that's not what he's saying, is he? A righteous person is a perfect person because then there would be no righteous, right? And the scripture says, no, there's not one righteous except for Jesus. A righteous person. What is a righteous person? It's one whose heart is right toward God. It's one who is striving to grow in their intimacy with him. And they grow in their intimacy with him so much that there is... The heart of God is beating in our heart. We understand Him. We don't have to ask Him, God, what is your will in this? Because we're, we are intimate with Him to where we know what He wants. He's not trying to hide His will. He's not trying to withhold a great, mighty movement. He wants that. He says, I want my house to be full. I want everyone to know Christ. He says, I, I want my people to have a relationship with me that is in-depth and intimate and compassionate so that they understand what my heartbeat is and then they will be urgent, energetic, and persistent in their prayers because I want to bless. I want to send revival. So it's a person who seeks to be obedient to God. 
seeks to be in right standing before God, that person, well, that person will have a powerful prayer life. And I've known a few in my life, man, they are incredible. But you know, we all can be. So how can a person be righteous? There are three things that are necessary. Number one is confession. When you go to Psalm 51, David says, my sin is ever before me. He says, I know my transgressions. If you look into the, to the Hebrew, that word know there has the idea of knowing it by enumerating it. In other words, I know it because I faced it. I've written it down. That's, that's how I illustrate it. I enumerate it. I write down all of my sins. There will be some that will not agree with me, but I don't think it does a lot of good for us to sit down and say, God, forgive me of my sins. And the reason I say that is because what does that mean? You haven't even acknowledged what those sins are. You need to take ownership and responsibility of, of our sins. And so we ask God, God, reveal to me the sins that I have committed, the sins of my tongue, things I've said, either words I've said or things I've said that are incorrect or that are only half-truths. God, forgive me for that. Forgive me of my actions. Forgive me of my thoughts. And these are the things that I've done. It has the idea in Psalm 51 that David is saying, I, I have these sins and I face them. I acknowledge them. This is what I've done. And God, I confess them to you. And that's what we need to do to be a righteous person before God. Because you really can't face and deal with sins without naming them off. <laughs> you got to acknowledge them. Yep, I own that. Secondly is repentance. So you come before God and you, you understand what your sins are, you face them, you own them, and then you go to God and confess them and you repent. That idea of repent as we've talked about before, means to turn from our sins. It doesn't mean to just be sorry for them or sorry we got caught about them. It means to be sorry for them. We felt the conviction of God, and therefore we are going to turn 180 degrees and go the opposite way. We're going to let it go. And then the third is dedication. In some realm, we talk about it theologically as sanctification. In the Bible, it has the idea, almost uh, the idea of the, uh, almost to the same degree as the word love. It means to act in the best interest of another at the expense of our own desires. It's a selflessness. The beautiful example of that is Jesus when he left the glories of heaven when he didn't need to. He came here uh, through the incarnation. Uh, he was sinless. And yet, he was crucified on the cross, taking all of our sins upon him. And when he died, the spiritual battle between him and Satan, it was amazing. We just can't pull back the covers and see it, but the scripture describes it to some degree. And it was a difficult time, because the darkness of sin overwhelmed him. But then he said, it is finished. And he eliminated sin and Satan and won the battle. 
And so it has this idea as believers, as Christians who follow Christ, that this is the kind of dedication we need. Dedicated to God, doing everything that we can to allow him to be the director or the Lord of our life from this point forward. We will not live a perfect life, even as a believer in Christ, even striving to be dedicated to him, but we are striving to be that way. And in that midst, all of a sudden, we see a mighty movement of God in our lives. So if we're going to have powerful prayer that has that idea of urgency and energy and persistence, we have got to be the person who is in right standing before God who's confessed our sins and repented of them and dedicated ourselves to allow him to be the Lord of our life. And with that, we have the heart of God as we continue to mature in him. And that brings about what his desire is right into us. And our heart beats like that, so we're going to take the time to pray. Not only the number of times we pray, but how long we pray and the intensity of it. And so this morning, what I'm asking you is, are you willing, will you embrace the most powerful force the Christian has. When you study George Mueller, you find some amazing stories. I mean, one after another. Just one quick one. He had 300 children in one of the orphanages, or I guess the orphanage that he had at that particular time. And he never asked churches or anybody else for any, any money. He knew God would provide. That's how he lived his life. He just knew that God was going to provide. And so he would go before God and say, God, this is, you know, you know the need. This is the need. And uh, one morning before school, 300 children, I think they were all girls. One of the volunteers or workers came in and said, sir, we, we have no food. <laughs> and he said, get all the children seat them, put the bowls in front of them, and God will provide. And once they got all the children together, there was a knock at the door. And uh, a knock at the door, one of the men opened the door, and this uh, baker said, I, I was up at 4 o'clock this morning. I couldn't sleep. And I was impressed that I needed to make bread for your children. <laughs> and he made enough bread and brought it for all of those kids. It wasn't long after that that a knock on the door came, and here came a milkman. And his milkman, the milkman, his, his wheel had broken off of his cart. We were talking the 1800s in, in England. And... Uh, and he said, I've got all of this milk, uh, 10 large containers of milk. He said, I, it's going to take a long time to fix this. The milk is going to go bad. Can you use it? They brought it right in. George Mueller, if you read his life, his whole life was spent that way. Wow. He knew God. He knew God would take care of everything. He prayed. He interceded. He asked God, please, God, please. You know what we need, and I'm going to 
trust you. And God didn't fail him. So my request to you as we move into our invitation is pretty simple. Trust God today. Commit yourself to be a prayer warrior. Commit yourself to be that righteous person who accomplishes a lot, allows God to do that through you. And commit yourself to go beyond even what you're doing now and be a person who prays fervently, effectually before God. And see what God does. Father, in this time of invitation, we ask for people to commit themselves, to rededicate their lives. We ask them, if you would, Father, as we hear story after story, but Father, we want to be a part of that story. And some of us in this worship center have experienced your powerful prayers and spiritual awakenings in places we've been. And it doesn't happen all the time, but Father, there is a constant quality of what does happen. And that is that you bring it, that you want your people to be engaged in it. And I pray for our folks, for me, God, I would be more fervent and effectual in my prayer. That I would be a righteous man. That allows you to lead my life as the director. And to pray more consistently with urgency and energy and persistence. Because I want our prayers to count and to be powerful. So whatever it takes here in our worship center for each of us to to take that on father you move and for folks it's time that they have said this is the place i want to join and be a part of this church that's going to get into the community that's praying on behalf of our our country and our community and our our church and father we look forward to them coming in jesus name we pray let's stand and sing our invitation please Let's go ahead and be seated for just a moment. Um, I just, the only thing I want to say is when you get ready to leave today, if you're interested in uh, looking at the Watchman Prayer Ministry Board or taking your hours, we have volunteers who will be in the foyer out this way. Uh, it'll be a very quick process, uh, but they have it, have it down. And uh, we'll get your hours signed up or your multiple hours, whatever you choose to do. Uh, but that's what I would encourage you to do. Uh, but they'll be out there to help you. Okay, Nessie? And it's important after you get an hour 
that you signed up to pray that you go to the table by the prayer board to see the couple of volunteers there. We need to get some additional information from you, and that will be brief as well. In the smaller lobby, just to my left here through these double doors, there are still sign-up sheets for the small group studies that began last Wednesday at 4 o'clock. It is not too late. If you weren't able to come to one of those last week, you certainly may sign up to come or just come on Wednesday at 4 o'clock, and you'll see them listed there in the bulletin. Also, in both lobbies, there are still baby bottles for you to take and fill with either coins or quiet folding money or checks made payable to New Life Pregnancy Center. On the 27th, two weeks from today, those filled bottles are due back, and you will want to help that important vital ministry, which is one of our ministry partners. This coming Thursday at 1.30, First Baptist's own Jeff Hall will be speaking about his book that he wrote at Page Turners. If you are interested, you need to come at 1.30 and be part of that. It will meet in 1.12, again, just through these double doors. War Room is the movie for this month, and that will be a week from Thursday. If you'd like to have lunch, there's a sign-up sheet out here for you to indicate that so that we can make sure you order enough lunches. The movie is free, and you can have all the popcorn and bottled water that you would like. For the last movie, I ate all I could, and then there was still a lot left. So I need your help this time. The quail in my backyard enjoyed popcorn for several days. <laughs> Would you stand as we have our closing prayer? And David Jakes will be leading us in that. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being in your house today for Bible study, for worship service. Thank you for the message that we heard for the songs that we sang and for uh, the music that we've heard. Father, all culminating in the thought of prayer. Thank you for the privilege of prayer that you give to each one of us. That we have an opportunity just to share our inner feelings and our needs and share we can worship you through our prayer. And I just thank you for the privilege you've given each one of us in prayer. Now, Father, as we leave, I pray that you'll be with each one of us because as we leave these doors, we're in our mission field. And so, Father, I just pray that as people see us and we move around in the community and in businesses, restaurants, or anywhere we are, Father, I just pray that as they see each one of us, they'll see Jesus in us. And so, Father, I pray this prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.